And now for something purposely positive. Welcome to Strive to Thrive, the Purposely Positive Podcast, brought to you by TonyWCoaching.com, where your greatest success is right in front of you. This is Tony Wexler, your host, and on this podcast, we talk about positive issues to bring positive content into the world. Did you know that more than six out of 10 people suffer from chronic illness? If you're suffering from one, well, at least you know you're not alone. But what actually is chronic illness, and is it possible to break free from it? Now, on today's episode, my friend Arthur Clark and I are going to discuss breaking free from chronic illness. So if you know anyone who fits into that category, I hope you'll share this podcast with them. Art, it's great to have you with us today. Hey, Tony, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to discussing this topic. It's something that's it's really meaningful for me as I have friends and family that have suffered from different chronic illnesses, and there's lots of them out there. So I would love to hear more about your story and why this topic truly resonates with you. Well, in uh, May 2020, I had lost my job, uh, which pretty much ended a 30-year career in facilities management. And it's funny, I was talking to my doctor about this yesterday. It's like almost about the same time I started experiencing some weird health issues. And uh, she was saying, yeah, you wouldn't believe how many people have developed chronic diseases since this whole COVID thing came up. But uh, my health just started falling apart. My vision was getting weird. Uh, I was dealing with severe blood pressure drops. And I'm talking like 60 over 30, just like that. Um, I weighed 260 pounds. Being an artist, um, when my eye, I started having issues with my eyes, I finally went to my doctor, which I hadn't been to for 18 months because every time I went, I came home with a new prescription and I was tired of that. Dumb, I know, but you know, that was my reasoning. And um, October 20, yeah, 2020, yeah, 2020, uh, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and stage 3 kidney disease, very close to stage 4. Um, I had an EGFR of 38 which is a number that determines how well our kidneys are functioning and we should not be below 60. So I was really in a bad area. And I had other issues, high blood pressure, uh, acid reflux, uh, gout, probably things I'm forgetting about. So I was really, uh, you know, when stage three at that low in the stage three kidney disease, once you get into stage four, the odds of turning that around are extremely slim and probably would have meant dialysis and going on a kidney transplant list. So I literally was forced with two options. It was either not do anything and live a short, miserable life, wired a machine probably, or see what I could do to turn my health around. So I opted to see what I could do to improve my health. I can go into some details during a call about that if you want, but basically about three months later after that, when I went in for my follow-up, my A1C had dropped from 12, where it was when I started, which is, it should not be over 5.7. Uh, had down to about 7.1 or 7.2 in three months. Um, my EGFR went from 38 up into the 50s, which is still in the it's in the stage two range, but definitely an improvement. I lost about 30 pounds. Uh, I had to actually lower my dosage of high blood pressure medication because it was working too well. Now my blood pressure was getting a little low. So 
the better news was a few months later, um, I was down to 5.7 with my A1C and my kidneys were totally healthy. Wow. Uh, 80 from 38 up to 85. I'd lost 60 pounds. I was occasionally taking blood pressure medication as needed, which I know sounds weird, but I didn't need to take any other medicine. That prompted me becoming a health and life coach. I mean, what else do you do after something like that, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I think I'm living proof that some chronic diseases uh, can be reversed or like they can be improved if not reversed. I've found that yes. that, is, that is very true in, in, in life. It's I've done a lot of that myself. Uh, you and I have, uh, we were discussing a little bit before we started to record today that, you know, I also have the high blood pressure issue and uh, it's something that I've suffered from since I was relatively young. I started having headaches all the time yeah. when I was really like, I was like 30 years old and I'm like, why, why am I having headaches all the time? And uh, I was married at the time and my, uh, my wife was nagging me to go to the doctor. And I said, what are they going to do? Tell me to take aspirin. So I finally went after about maybe six, eight months of nagging and they diagnosed me and, uh, and I've been on uh, medication for that ever since I've tried to get off it, but uh, haven't had a lot of luck with that, but I've been able to control it. And I have gotten rid of things. So you mentioned acid reflux, which is something that a lot of people have. And I was on two pretty strong medications for that. And I've been able to get off both of those. So yeah, that is a beautiful thing. So I do know it's possible. So let me backtrack to what you were talking about with some of these tests that you had. Now, are these standard tests um, that would find out about? Because you yes. threw some initials at me and uh, hmm. those listening who don't have a medical background will probably wonder, well, what exactly does that mean when, uh, I mean, you mentioned about the kidney functioning was, was at a certain sure. percentage versus another percentage and, and that's self-explanatory. But when you, you throw some of these, these uh, initials, because I think that's what happens when you go to the doctor, right? You get these reports and you don't understand what they say. <laughs> I literally, I remember when I got my diagnosis and I, and I took out my, my lab work with all those acronyms and initials and numbers. And I went over every single one and Googled them to, so I would learn what they were. Now, uh, I'm not sure if a lot of, maybe a lot of people don't understand that when you go in for your annual exam and do the blood work, all this information is right there available to you. You would hope that the doctor, if there was something concerning, the doctor would say something about it, which mine did. Today, we're talking about, you know, diabetes and kidney disease. So if you look at your A1C level, um, that is specifically about how high your blood sugar is, your blood glucose level and a healthy person, a healthy range is 5.7 or lower, not too low, but right around 5.7. Once you go from 5.8 to, I think it's 6.2, you are in pre-diabetes range. Now I was in pre-diabetes range 18 months before I forgot to mention that. And <laughs> I, I was the kind of person that would not make a change until something bad happened. Okay. And I know I'm the only one out there that does that. Right. <laughs> uh, right. So in my mind, pre-diabetes meant, oh, I don't have it yet. So I'm okay. So I didn't go for 18 months. So it's very likely that I was a diabetic long before I found out, you know, and here's the thing when you get, if you're a diabetic and you get into the position where you're feeling symptoms, you know, they call it a silent killer for a reason. Okay. Because once you get into where you're feeling physical sensations or symptoms of something of this, that is seriously dangerous. It's quite possible I could have lost my vision. 
I would, I would be sitting here and all of a sudden it'd be like, I'm looking through a bright white kaleidoscope for about 15 minutes. Fortunately, wow. it never happened while I was driving. And that was the time where I finally gave in and said, time to go to the doctor. So A1C is your, I don't know what that stands for, but that's the thing you want to look at and tell you where your range should be. Okay. EGFR, um, some people, some, a lot of people just refer to G, GFR and I believe it's glum, glomerular, estimated glomerular flow rate or something like that. And basically that is how well your kidneys are filtering the, into- the, the toxins out of your uh, blood, right? So if you go through, look through your labs and you look for that number, most cases, the number you show, it should, if it's, if it's normal, it'll just say a number, but if it's, if it's in bad, it, there should be an H next to it in parentheses, because that stands for high. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, should get, that should get your attention, but mm-hmm. we should be 60 or higher. But funny story, because usually depending on what your uh, health provider does and how they provide that, I mean, we use this thing here. Uh, I think it's called my chart or my care. It's one of these. And they send you your lab results every time you get blood work. And mm-hmm. no matter how old you are, because there might be people listening right now who are like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not that old. I don't need to worry about this stuff, but start worrying about it when you're younger. Just like you made a great point when you're pre-diabetes, you're thinking, I don't have it yet. And when you start saying, well, you know, I'm not old enough to have these problems yet. I'll deal with them later. And so many people in life say, I will deal with them later. My problem was that, you know, I had hereditary illnesses uh, and like high blood pressure and coronary artery issues that have been in my family for years. However, just because they're in your family doesn't mean you're going to get it, but it means that there's a good likelihood that you're going to have some of those symptoms. So why not start early in life and try to prevent those things? So we're going to yeah. talk about in, in a bit how to go and to break free from the illness once you've already discovered it. But a lot of these things we're going to talk about, I would suggest to those who are younger, start doing these things now before you have to deal with a situation oh, like you did, before absolutely. your vision goes out of whack. And you know, you're worried about, yeah. oh, what am I going to do now? Well, there's a really important point. I don't want to forget. You mentioned young people think they have, they have ways to go before they have to worry about something like this. You know, uh, I don't I'm not sure how old you are, but you know, in the sixties, when I was in grade school, they do, you know, uh, there's documentaries I've watched where they interview teachers from that period who it was unheard of for a child to have diabetes, type two diabetes, obesity was so rare back then up into the the seventies and where it really started to, to turn around was in the eighties when there was such this huge impact of the fast food push and all this. And now it is not unusual for kids 10 years old. And I mean, this is sad 10 year old, 10 year old kids that are type two diabetics. And we're, we're specifically scary. talking about type two type one is a whole different world. I am exactly. not an authority on it. Because type two, type one, from my understanding, there's not much you can do about it. Type two, I believe in most cases is reversible. So when you see, I see these kids at the grocery store that are clearly obese, and I'm talking seven, eight years old, and I look in the shopping cart, I see nothing but crap. It's like, you can't imagine how hard, hard it is not to say something to mom or dad. Yeah. I don't know if I interrupted you there, but I thought that was a very important point. That's something we need to be aware of. Exactly. Yeah, don't wait until you're older. 
yeah, this stuff needs to be handled early in life if possible. I try to tell that to my own kids. I said, right. you know, I pick on my daughter a little bit, but she likes coffee. But the joke is with her is, uh, why don't you have some coffee with your creamer? <laughs> and it's not just the creamer. It's that flavored creamer that you put in that's got all the sugar. So it's basically a, a half yeah. a cup of sugar and cream with a little bit of uh, caffeinated beverage. Now, I still drink my coffee. I'm usually one, maybe two cups a day right now. Uh, when I was much younger, you know, I used to drink not two cups, but Art, I was drinking two pots of coffee a day. Oh, I'm not a coffee drinker, but yeah, yeah. And, and I was a hopeless Pepsi addict. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I find that that's where... A lot of people get their caffeine is from those beverages and some people will switch to diet. And I say, well, wait, wait a minute, at least the sugar beverage, you kind of know what you're putting in your body. It's not good for you. You shouldn't be doing it. But with the diet stuff, with all those chemicals that they're putting in there, yeah. stay yeah. far away from that as well. Really, those beverages I try to avoid uh, almost uh, at all costs. Mm -hmm. I absolutely believe the first thing I did and in, in my to transform my health was to cut sugar out of my diet as much as possible. I, I, I calculated one day that I was probably consuming somewhere around 85 teaspoons of sugar a day. One can, one can of Pepsi is 10 teaspoons of sugar. I don't know if people yes. know that the FDA's or the heart associations associations recommendation is not more than nine teaspoons for men and six for women. So that one can of Pepsi blew my deal for the whole day. And something I was going to mention, you know, when I, when I was first diagnosed, I didn't know what diabetes was. I probably spent about a month learning about it. And that's when I realized the kidney disease was most likely a result from the diabetes. So for me to turn a kidney disease around, I had to fix the diabetes. And I just kind of came naturally. Well, not naturally, but I mean, I didn't have to, I didn't have to work on the kidney disease. I just had to work on the diabetes. So let's go back. Now you discover that you have these issues and you make mm -hmm. that decision. And to me, that's so important. The first thing everybody has to do is to make a decision. I believe like one of my mentors, uh, Tony Robbins talks about your should, like I should cut back on this. I should do that. Your should has to turn itself into your must. Yeah. So stop absolutely. shooting, stop shooting all over yourself and start finding <laughs> that out. <laughs> yes. Stop shooting all over yourself and find out and make that decision that you must do this. So once that yeah. becomes your must, then you take that decision and build that into determination and you become determined that no matter what happens, I am going to do this. So I think that's probably where you were at that point. In yeah. Time. Yeah. I am. Um, like I said, I meant, I knew I was at a, a, a crossroads. I was, uh, I did a video on this. I was on my moment on the edge where some people come to where it's a do or die decision. And I, and it was literally, that was my situation. It was, I do something or I'm going to die young. Yeah. Cause you know, if you don't do anything you can't control kidney disease, they'll just slowly get worse and, yeah. and all that. But the thing is, I didn't know what to do. All I knew is I needed to do something. I knew I needed to eat better. I needed I needed to exercise. So I remember Literally, I stayed up all night just worrying about this. And I was on one of the Netflix or Prime or something like that. I can't remember. And I came across a, a documentary called That Sugar Movie. If you've ever seen it, yeah, you've seen that. And I recommend anybody out there that uh, wants to know about what sugar does to the body, 
watch this film. I won't go into details, but it revolutionized my life. And I knew at that point, the first thing I needed to do was to address my sugar intake. Because like I said, I was hopelessly addicted to Pepsi. I was consuming probably about 60 ounces a day. Okay, that's embarrassing, but true. But at the same time, people don't realize how much sugar is in just regular food. Cereals are, are loaded with it, you know? So I, I made this rule for myself that at that time, you know, I don't, I try not to drink diet sodas too much now, but at that time, instead of a regular soda, I would have a zero sugar soda. And that's all I did. I didn't even start exercising yet. And within three weeks, I dropped a few pounds. Um, my skin looked better. My hair was healthier. Um, I just felt more alert and not so focused. So I added another rule. I said for every ounce of zero free sugar, zero sugar soda I would drink, I had to drink an ounce of water. And when I added that in, uh, that's when I noticed it seems it sounds so simple, but the reality is, you know, I was starting to give my body good stuff. Okay. Diet soda is not great for you, but it's, it's a better, bad choice. Okay. And uh, when I did, when I added the water in, that's when I just, my, my feelings started feeling good. So I started next, I learned to uh, manage my dairy intake as dairy is very high and well, it's high in saturated fat and it has a lot of added sugar. And uh, I, I managed my red meat intake and things, you know, I just kind of cut back. I, I, I didn't go on a diet. And that's the thing I, when I, when I work with my cl clients, the very first thing I tell you is you I am not going to put you on a diet. Diets don't work. Absolutely. I made a decision to just transition my life to a healthier lifestyle. And this is well before I was into the health coaching thing. And I didn't realize what I was doing was I was kind of coaching myself without any training in a way. I'm probably making it sound easier than it was. But uh, it was a lot of hard work. Uh, my exercise started with just walking around the block a few times a week. And when that got too easy, I ended up in CrossFit. You know, I'm 62 years old and I just did my first CrossFit Open. Wow. Competition. A couple, my wife and I did. Yeah. And uh, I about died. That's true. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm 62 years old. And if I can do it, you youngsters out there can do it too. So the bottom line is it really is about just First of all, taking a good, honest look at what you're eating and getting away from the processed foods. Anything that has a label is basically almost a processed food. I mean, yes, frozen vegetables and frozen fruit have labels and they're not processed. They're just frozen, right? But cereals, those cereals, man, just take a look at the, how much sugar is in even just plain Cheerios, which I like. Mm -hmm. Um so, yeah, and that's, I mean, and that's not your frosted, sugar-coated cereal. It's just Cheerios. No. I just, I, when I see these commercials come on about these chocolate cocoa things, I have to leave the room because it's this is what is being sold to the kids. It's healthy because there's milk in it, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. These, well, milk these... is another story. I mean, we could probably talk about some of the dairy things out there. Uh, oh, yeah. There's a book that I read that really impacted me, and that was called uh, the China study. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, if you're yes. familiar with it, it's written by uh, T. Colin Campbell. And, yes. Uh, Campbell's son actually works at the University of Rochester, which is in the town you know where I live. So he's, uh, he's out there and following in his father's footsteps teaching this. But what mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Campbell did was he actually went to these primitive cultures uh, one of the things that he found was that whenever you take away the dairy intake, 
take away milk products. And it's specifically a protein called, I think it's casein. Mm-hmm. So when you take the casein out, the cancer cells start to die off. But then when you add the casein, the cancer cells start to multiply like crazy. When I read that, I'm like, okay, then <laughs> milk, it does a body good, right? Not right. really. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I know the doc, in fact, um, there's a documentary, I think it's called Diet Fiction, that talks a lot about that, the China study. It's fascinating. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, as kids, we don't need milk from animals. We got our milk from our mama, right? Yeah. Uh, or, or formula or whatever. And, and I'm personally that if anything was hard to give up, it was milk. Cause I absolutely yeah. love milk and Oreos, man, but I don't miss it anymore. You know, um, we don't need these dairy products really. They're good. I love yogurt every once in a while and stuff, but, uh, I, I don't, it, I've come to a place where now where I manage the food rather than food manages me. And it took a while. And that's big right there. I think that's a yeah. huge, you could, you could repeat that 10 times over and people yeah. should be writing that down. You know, the clients I've coached and I talked to them about that, that is probably one of their biggest aha moments is that, oh my God, food is managing me. And, and I, I tell you, before I did all this, I would obsess in the morning what I was going to have for lunch. And, and that would be on my mind all the time. The lunchtime came around. I'd, I'd be driving. This is when I was going to an office. I'd be spending my lunch hour driving around trying to make a decision where I wanted to eat because, my God, that McDonald's might not be there tomorrow. I better take advantage of that, right? It, that's huge. And when I got to a position where I was managing the food, it is such, it's a moment of peace. You feel uh, just alive again. Like, my God, I, I don't have to have it. If I really want Mexican food right now, I'll go have it but I don't have it any day, every day anymore, you know? Hmm. So it's magical. It really is. That's interesting. So let me ask you about Mexican food and why you specifically picked out that particular food, because a lot of it, I mean, I guess there's a lot of cheese affiliated with Mexican food. Oh boy. Authentic Mexican food is a lot of it's made with lard. Mm, Okay. Which is pig fat, the solid stuff, the stuff that, uh, you know, and an interesting I learned recently just made me think about that is that it's not fat that makes us fat. And, and when I see people, you know, so hung up on low fat food, low, low calorie food, it's like, no, saturated fat does not make you fat. Saturated fat kills your heart. What mm-hmm. makes us fat is excess carbs that don't get burned up in, as energy. Mm-hmm, right. So Mexican food probably my second addiction, you know, it's just, you know, your, your the refried beans are all made with lard. That's why it tastes so dang good. And, you know, it's all that. So I love cooking. And one of my, the funnest things I've done since I've done this is figure out how to make Mexican food healthy. I do the same thing <laughs> with especially Italian food. I will, you oh, know, yeah. I, I can make a, uh, a vegan lasagna that it'll knock your socks off. I mean, it took me a while to get used to some of the vegan cheeses, but if you make mm-hmm. your own, then at least you know what you're getting. You can do a lot with chickpea flour, I've learned. Yes, chickpea <laughs> flour, that, that's a great egg substitute, yeah. And I know there's a lot of people out, out that are listening to this and going, oh my God, I could never do that. I could never give this this up. Um, I have a, have had a client who, there, I can't remember the name, but she loved this champagne and I looked it up and it's high in sugar. And, I, and one of the things I always tell my clients first is, is I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you, you have to give something up you may come to the place where you just decide that's the best thing for you. And that's why I emphasize, I didn't go on a diet. 
you know, if I really, really, really wanted a cheeseburger, I'd go have the cheeseburger, you know, but it all goes back to, I am managing the food now rather than it managing me, even Mexican. (laughs) A story uh, that happened to me in December. Now, again, uh, those who listen to the podcast and we had the conversation before, I pretty much eat a plant-based diet, a vegan Mm -hmm. diet. I have been doing this for like three and a half years now, and it's been uh, a great thing for me. It's really worked well uh, for the most part, um, with some exception, but uh, without getting into that. But anyway, I am pretty strict about it. However, if I go to a birthday party or a wedding you know, I know that the cake is going to have milk and egg in it. I'll have a piece just to celebrate with, you know, the bride and groom if it's at a wedding or to celebrate with the birthday. But I won't always. I choose whether I'm going to have it or not. And if I do, it's usually a very small piece and just to be a little bit social. But for the most part, I don't touch any of that stuff. I don't have any of that. And the same thing when it comes to anything having to do with like dairy. But when I was down in New York City in December, uh, I was walking down Times Square or wherever, some one of the streets off of that area, and there was a pizza place. So I went in and I got a slice because I'm in New York. There's no better place to have pizza, although people in Chicago may disagree, but no better place in New York City for pizza. So mm-hmm. I just said, you know that. what, I'm going <laughs> to grab I'm going to have a slice. One slice is going to isn't going to hurt me. And I was fine with that. But I mm-hmm. don't do that every day. I don't live that way. I get up and I plan my meals. And the other thing I wanted to bring back into the conversation is the water, because so many of us don't drink enough water. A lot of times we're hungry because we're really dehydrated and our body is telling us you need to drink more water. So the very first thing that I do every morning is I get up and I drink 16 ounces of water. I leave that right next to my bed. I get up in the morning, drink that before I even start my day. And throughout the day, I try to always have a bottle of water, you know, nearby so that if I feel hungry, although I think where I tripped up is uh, when I started the coaching business and I went full time, which was about a year ago, I work from home now. So working from home is a difficult avenue to be because you're always walking through the kitchen and you're always going to snack on something. So it's managing that. And I find that two things have helped me with that. One is water, always having water. When I'm tempted to eat something, I'll drink a good amount of water. And the next thing I do is if I'm tempted again, after that, I drop and I do at least 20 push-ups. You must be really strong. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, yeah. not as strong as I'd like to be, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do. I do 50 a day. So I I've always uh, maintained that. And I think it's so That's important good. that, uh, because we have to move our bodies. Our bodies weren't made to, to sit around. You know, and that's so true. A lot of, when I, when I say exercise and I'm talking about clients, exercise, usually one of the first things that comes to mind is killing themselves in the gym. And that's not the case. Exercise is movement. You know, when I, I when I'm here working on my computer for every hour I sit, I will raise it up and I'll stand. That's a form of exercise. Cause I'm using muscles, stand there and burning calories, you know, and you touched on something very interesting that I think a lot of people where they fail with diets is the whole starvation thing. You know, one of the things that uh, you might've learned in your coaching is the, the hunger, hunger fullness scale, right? One being I'm, I'm going to eat a horse if I don't get some food in my stomach. And 
a lot of where we fail quite often is we let that go way down too far on the scale for too long and get to a place where I just need to get some food in my stomach. Right. And that usually is not a good, healthy choice. And to the other extreme where 10 being, oh, my God, what did I just do? I need to go lay down. I need to get a bigger pair of pants on or something like that. So somewhere between that three and a seven is a really healthy range to stage, uh, stay. And you know, I hope that helps somebody because that is one of the arts of, of weight loss is managing how hungry I am and how full I am, learning to push away in that comfort zone. What I'd like to ask you is if there are people out there who are listening, who are wondering, okay, so you gave up your sugar, you cut back on your meat and dairy, and you moved around a little bit more and you did some more exercise. Uh, is mm-hmm. there anything specifically or maybe something that someone could do simply to start the process of trying to get control of their health again, trying to break free of that chronic illness? Yeah. I mentioned something a little earlier ago about, you know, the diet's emphasizing so much on low fat, low calorie, right? You know, the truth of the matter is we need fat. There's, you know, there's saturated fat, there's trans fats, and you got the poly and the monounsaturated fats. Okay. The first two I mentioned are bad. They don't make you fat. They make you sick. Okay. Poly and mono non-saturated fats are good fats. And there's an excellent book called Smart Fat, and I can't remember his name, but when I was going through my journey, I didn't know this. I was still kind of hung up in that low fat thing. But what I've learned is that, you know, it's carbs that make us overweight, excess carbs and the wrong kind of carbs, you know, it's the simple carbohydrates, which are like Snickers bars and things like that versus complex carbohydrates that come from plants. The truth of the matter is we need the healthy fats to lose weight. So I would challenge people to start trying to get away from that traditional diet thinking. I don't even count calories. I never have. And, and stop looking at it like, because when you say I'm going on a diet, what you're telling me is you're going to do this for a while, lose some weight and, and go back to the way you were, and you're going to gain more weight back. Right. I would yeah. challenge people to look at it. as like, okay, I'm overweight. Maybe I have some health issues. I'm just, I need to transform my life. That's exactly and, and, what it is. It's a transformation. It's not a yes. temporary fix because whenever we go on a diet, like you just said, and lose the weight. I would say probably 95% of the people will go on a diet and they'll not only will they gain the weight that they lost back, they'll probably gain more after yeah. that. And then they'll just repeat the process all over again. And it's not helping. No, the thing about it is in my personal experience. Yeah, it was, it's great putting on smaller clothes, but mm-hmm. you know, this transformation for me has been so much more than just weight loss and getting away from mm-hmm. the diabetes and the kidney issues. Uh, I was a very active right. photographer up till about 10 years ago, wildlife, you know, landscape photographer spending hiking the, the high Sierras. Uh, Yosemite is my favorite place. And when my health started falling apart, I quit. So now you're talking about health issues that are changing your lives for the negative. Right. Okay. With, and this, this change led to depression, all sorts of stuff. When I started going through my transformation in, you know, 2020, uh, and losing the weight and feeling healthier. All of a sudden, I started getting that passion back to get back out into the wild, which I, I do when I can now, which is something I haven't been able to do. That's changed my life. But the best part is getting to a position now where I can help other people 
who were are at where I was and no clue what to do. That's that's the reward of, you know, 2020 was the worst and best year of my life. The worst of what I dealt with, losing my job, but it was also the best because a year later I was healthier and found my new calling in health and life coaching. I, I like to say, I wish I could have found this sooner, but the truth is, had I not gone through that experience, you and I would not be talking. I'd either be dead or I would have no interest in coaching people. Well, let's talk a little bit about coaching people. Uh, yeah. Tell me about a client maybe who, who touched you in a way uh, that really made an impact on you and on your practice. I was coaching a, a woman who was pre-diabetic, had a pretty good amount of weight to lose. And um, kind of like me, gave up on a lot of the things that meant a lot to her that she loved to do just because she couldn't do it anymore. And was like so many other people, played the, yo- the diet yo-yo for years and, and not only did not get anywhere, but every time gained a little more weight back. Uh, I mean, there's a science behind that. You know, you lose some weight and, you know, go on a starvation thing and then you start eating again while your metabolism is at a dead standstill. And you gain more, you know, when I coach people on, on weight loss in particular and diabetes, you know, the first things I tell them that I, like I mentioned is you're not, I'm not putting you on a diet. You have to, we need to talk about, okay, where are you at now? Where do you want to be? And then together developing a plan on how we're going to get them there. And nowhere in that conversation, will they ever hear me say, okay, you have to give up that you, you can't do that anymore. Um, You have to eat this or you have to do that. It's my job to bring them to a place where they realize that. Now I'll make suggestions. Quite often I said, this is what I did, what worked for me. may not work for everybody else, but let me give you some points. So that's how I worked with her. And within, you know, this is going through my 90-day program, probably within about a month, she had already lost a, a pant size. I think she said she had lost about 10 pounds in the first month. Uh, by the time we were through, she was at about 25 pounds. Now, okay, uh, I think she had a total of 70 she wanted to lose. That's not realistic in 90 days. That's not even healthy. But the fact that we made a goal of 25 pounds and by the end of that 90-day program, and she met that, and that by that point, she knew how to take care of herself. She developed new habits. She was no longer pre-diabetic. She had, I think of a couple months after we were done, she had gone in for her physical and, and got the good news that she was, had a normal A1C. I didn't do it. All I did was give her guidance. She did the work. And as you know, with coaching people, we can give them suggestions. We can help them identify where their issues are and give them some action items. But if they don't do it, yeah. nothing will happen. They're wasting their time. And, and I, frankly, I won't work with somebody like that. You know, I'm not going to take somebody's money and, and time if they're not going to do the program. Yeah. I, I do the same thing with, with people when I work with them in uh, coaching capacity, I, they have to do the work. If they don't want to do that, then I don't want to take their money because it's not going to help because I want to go on that journey with somebody. And at the end of that journey, I want them to have that aha moment and have them realize that they did it themselves. The biggest thing about coaching is at the end of whether it's 60 days, 90 days, 180 days, however long your program is at the end of that, the person says, I did it. And I can look at them and say, yes, you did. Cause 
I'm only there to help them in the journey, just as you are, just to help them along the way. And you made a good point earlier. If you tell somebody to do something, they're going to be reluctant to do it. It's when they make the decision in their own mind to do that. That's exactly. when that's when the change is going to happen. And it will not be, again, to repeat what we said earlier, not until there should becomes their must when they turn that decision into a determination to do something. And they say, I'm going to change my health. I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to be there when my, when my daughter walks down the aisle, uh, yeah. you know, when my daughter, who's yeah. now maybe 12 years old, you know, gets married, I don't want to be in a wheelchair or I don't want to be sick or I don't want to not be there when that happens. And usually sometimes it takes a wake up call moment like that. And that's something that I talk about in my strive to thrive ebook, uh, is mm -hmm. wake up call moments. We all have those moments in our life where, we say something's got to be done and you can choose to take the negative path or the positive path. You can choose to say, woe is me. Uh, I've got this health problem. I've got this chronic disease. I'm going to have to just live with it or I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to take that positive road. So you took the positive road and not only did you do that, but you took the positive road and that inspired you to help others to follow you in that direction. And I think that yeah. is a blessing for a lot of people. Yeah, and I, I want to add to that too, that I, I want to make it very clear that I understand there are some people out there that have health issues that may not be reversible. Okay. I'm telling you my story and I, I don't want, I don't want people to feel out there like, oh, you know, uh, I, certainly the people out there with, with serious cases of cancer or something like that and, and, or, you know, type one diabetes, you know, I don't know anything about that. So I don't want to feel like I'm lumping everybody in with everybody can do this. I, I, there are some exceptions, obviously, you know, I, I can only tell my experience and share my experience, what worked for me. And um, someone asked me the other day, I says, why are you a health and a life coach? I mean, aren't those two different things? And in some ways they are, but you know what? A lot of our health issues are due to life issues. And that's why when we go through our training, there is as much emphasis on finding our why behind our why and what makes us who we are, where we get to, can get to a place where we can get our health under control. Maybe mm -hmm. it's just stress management, you know, okay, what's causing the stress? Uh, I guess stress is awful on our health. So yeah, that's, um, that's a whole other topic. We could probably spend another yeah. hour going around about stress because that is a, a huge thing, especially in, in the world today. And one of the reasons why I put this podcast out is because I just believe that we need more positivity in the world. There's too much negativity. Absolutely. You turn the news on and you get stressed out. You know, maybe you should turn that off for a while and do something else. Read a book, uh, read something on development, read a book on your health. And speaking of books, is there a book out there or a specific book that you think would be um, recommended for anybody who wants to start this journey? Um, yeah. Uh, the one I mentioned earlier, smart fat, smart fat, uh, you know, and it's on Amazon. I'm sorry. I can't remember that. But if you just do a, a search on that, you'll find it. It mm -hmm. revolutionized my way of thinking when it came to low fat diets. And, and the, earlier, and, the of that. and earlier you mentioned the, um, the documentaries, uh, that, the, that, 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 that sugar well. movie, sugar movie. Yes. Yes. That yeah. sugar movie is incredible. I highly recommend anybody check that out. That that'll really yeah. be a big eye opener. So Art, if anybody wants to reach out to you and maybe need some help in that journey, what would be the best way to do that? 
Um, a couple ways. They can go to my website, um, healthcoachart.com. And you can see a little bit more about me. I've got some videos on there um, about myself, but also little tips about weight loss and health improvement. Um, and then there's a contact form, or they can just email me at healthcoachart at gmail.com. Sounds great. And I hope uh, if someone heard something today and it resonated with them, that they will reach out to you and see if they can get some help on that journey, because it's an important journey. And I think the more of us that take that positive path, I think the better the world will have. Definitely. One more question. And this is one I ask all my guests. Uh, and okay. that is simply, what does being purposely positive mean to you? Purposely positive. I love that phrase. Um, I think it means, for me, it means every one of us can have a positive impact on other people and not know it. Our words are so powerful. They can be good for the good or for the negative. You never know, uh, as you're going through your own personal journey, and I, I learned from myself, you never know who's watching because there will be people watching and you won't know it. My own daughter was watching me and, and inspired her. She's lost over hundred pounds. So I learned very quickly that all of us are on a stage and we have the privilege of impacting people in very powerful ways. It could be just a matter of saying, how are you today? I talk, I walk up to people in the grocery store all the time and say, I see you're a label reader. What do you know? So anyways, I think that, yeah, just being aware of what kind of positive impact we can have on others. Yeah, being aware of the positive impact we can have on others, that's so important. Thanks for that answer, Art. That was a really thoughtful one. You're welcome, and thank you. Art, this has been a great discussion today. I really appreciate your time and you coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us. You know, Tony, I've been looking forward to this, and uh, this is more fun than I thought it would be. So <laughs> it's always good to talk, you know, about this stuff. You've been listening to Strive to Thrive, the Purposely Positive Podcast, brought to you by TonyWCoaching.com, where your greatest success is right in front of you. And you know, you may have had one of those wake-up call moments, and you're trying to make that decision to go down that positive path or that negative path, and maybe you need a little help. There's a free resource called Strive to Thrive. You can download it. It's only 15 pages, and it's absolutely free, and that will start you on a journey or to purposely positive life.